Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. Aren't you thankful for the hope that is in Jesus Christ today? And it's going to be a good day today. I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm looking forward to getting into God's Word. And thank you so much for the anniversary gift. I was not expecting that. And uh, we're so thankful for, for all of you. And uh, of course, Kate and I, we love you so much. And we are so privileged to uh, be a part of the Rock Hill family alongside of you all. And uh, today's been a big week for our, or this week has been a big week for our family. Uh, my daughter Liv started kindergarten this week. So that was a big deal. Katie had a few emotional moments, and uh, which we will forgive her for that. And uh, Liv also had, hello, Liv also had her first soccer game this week, and I'm proud to announce, proud dad moment, she scored her first goal this week playing soccer. So I'm pretty much on top of the world today, so it's going to be a good day, and uh, looking forward to getting into God's Word. You can go ahead and find a seat. And if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Philippians chapter number three. Philippians chapter number three, and we are in the final two weeks of our series, Happy Camper. And throughout the summer months, we've been studying the book of Philippians, which is a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he started in Philippi. And when he was in the city of Philippi, he was in prison. And now as he's writing this letter, he is in prison. But the theme of the letter to the church of Philippi is joy and uh, how uh, we can have joy no matter what our circumstances might be. And uh, so we're going to have this week and next week. And uh, next week we'll conclude uh, the series Happy Camper. And this morning I want to bring a message that I'm calling Get Growing. Get Growing. Everybody look to your neighbor and say, it's time to get growing. Look to your second choice and say, you too. All right. We had about 26% participation on that, so that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I'll work with that today. Philippians chapter 3, if you're ready, would you say amen? amen? The Bible says this. We'll start reading verse number 12. The Bible says this. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of, Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark. Everybody say press toward. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many be perfect, be thus minded, and if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, and let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now even tell you weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation, or our citizenship, is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Is anybody looking forward to that day when we meet our Savior in the air? 
verse number 21, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. And God, thank you for this opportunity to come and to worship you today. And God, I pray that as we look to these words in Philippians chapter number three, God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit to give me the words to say that would be helpful and beneficial for us. And God, I pray that we can have a holy attention and a holy focus on your word today. God, I pray that nothing would be a distraction uh, uh, to your word being planted in our hearts today. God, I pray that uh, we can uh, lean in. And God, I pray that we can uh, look to this text and your Holy Spirit would illuminate, illuminate it for us so that we can uh, leave this place differently than how we entered. And uh, we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. In our household, there is a constant struggle to get our children to eat all of their food at mealtime. How many parents can relate with me where it's just this constant battle, constant struggle trying to get all of our kids to eat their food? And a couple of weeks ago, uh, my in-laws invited us over for a barbecue. And uh, my father-in-law, he loves to... Uh, he loves to uh, cook and to smoke meat and to barbecue and, and to grill. And uh, so he invited us over for this big feast, and he decided to smoke an entire pig, like Hawaiian luau style, just like the whole thing. And so it was, it was quite the feast. It was awesome. And my youngest son, Luke, uh, my only son, Luke, he was very uh, excited about pig. He thought this was, like, really cool that he could eat this. And so he was actually eating a lot. And we're very surprised because usually we're twisting his arm to get him to eat anything. But he just kept on eating, uh, eating so much, and we were kind of building it up. We're like, wow, Luke, you're getting big already. And wow, you're getting some muscles. You're getting strong eating this. But uh, we were building it up so much that now in Luke, Luke's mind, he equates uh, a growing strong by uh, eating pig. And so he thinks that if you want to grow strong, you have to eat pig. And so sometimes people will, will see him and say, hey, Luke, you're getting big. And he's like, I eat pig. Like, no, no big deal. <laughs> And so in his mind now, growth uh, comes by way of eating pig. Now, of course, growth uh, requires a little bit more than just eating pig, right? And uh, we come to Philippians chapter number three, and Paul is going to talk about how to grow spiritually. And he's going to talk about uh, what it requires of us to experience uh, spiritual growth. Now, uh, theologically, Paul is dealing with three different components of our salvation as we close out chapter number three of the book of Philippians. In verse number nine, we saw last week uh, uh, the uh, first component of our salvation is justification. Everybody say justification. Justification uh, means to be declared righteous. It happened at the moment when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you were declared righteous, and uh, it's just as if you'd never even been a sinner. That, that's what justification means, and so uh, that is a wonderful reality. We are declared righteousness. We are now positionally in Christ Jesus. So justification, that takes place in verse number 9. At the very end of our chapter, in chapter number 3, in verse number 21, uh, we see the third component of our salvation, and that is glorification. Everybody say glorification. How many of you came to learn this morning? Anybody come to learn in church today? And so verse number 21, we see glorification. And this is the, the final stage of our salvation. When we are with Jesus in heaven, we get a glorified body. That is uh, what we have to look forward to. And so that's a great day that we uh, look forward to our glorification. But right in the middle between our justification and our glorification is the, uh, the middle part of our salvation, which is Sanctification. And sanctification means to uh, be set apart. It means to uh, be set apart for God's glory, to be, to be holy. It's the process. Everybody say process. process. It's the process of becoming more like Christ. And so sanctification 
is all about our spiritual growth. And from verses 10 all the way to verse number 20, we see this process of sanctification. We see this process of spiritual growth. Now, this is something that Paul is going to uh, hammer for these few verses because he's challenging the church at Philippi. Hey, you can't be content spiritually. You've got to keep on growing closer uh, to your Lord and Savior. Uh, J.C. Ryle, he said this. He said, tell me not of your justification. Remember, that happened at the moment of salvation uh, when you placed your faith in Jesus. He says, tell me not of your justification unless you have also some marks of sanctification. Boast not of Christ's work for you unless you can show us Christ or or the Spirit's work in you. And so in other words, he's saying, uh, don't just profess Christianity if you don't practice Christianity. Don't just profess something that you never uh, seek to grow in. Now, uh, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter number 2, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, the word of God, that ye may grow. Everybody say grow. That ye may grow thereby, if so, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. He says in one chapter later, uh, 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace. And so all throughout the New Testament, we are exhorted, we are challenged to grow spiritually. And this is so often a struggle because many times we find ourselves in a place of spiritual stagnation. Where we want to grow, we want to move forward, but somehow we're just kind of uh, caught in complacency and we're kind of stuck uh, in the situation uh, that we're in. And so this morning we're going to talk about how we can move past this, uh, this pit, this plateau of being stuck and move past uh, this into spiritual growth. How many of you uh, uh, ever had a chia pet? Can I see your hands? A chia pet? How many of you know what a chia pet is? All right, there we go. If you don't know what it is, you're in luck today. Because I brought with me the first ever Chia Pet commercial. Okay, so we're going to watch it this morning. There's a new pet. Chia. Chia Pet, the pottery that grows. It's fun and easy. Soak your Chia, spread the seeds, keep it watered, and watch it grow. And now grow a whole collection of fun with Chia teddy bears. Puppies, kittens, rams, bulls. There's even a Chia tree to keep your pet Even a tree. Chia Pets and Trees, the pottery that grows. The Chia Pet and Chia Tree are available at Kmart, Rite Aid, Ames, and Woolworth. Makes a great gift. All right. How many of you are like, I need a Chia Pet? Anybody like that? I'm like, I saw that commercial. I was like, I got to have one. Where can I get one? And, uh, you know, the big selling point for Chia, Chia Pets is that you can watch it grow. Watch it grow. Uh, Because as human beings, we like to see progress. We like to see growth. And typically when it comes to our spiritual state, we are concerned with how fast we grow. But God is concerned about how strong we grow. And so this morning, we're going to look to Philippians chapter 3. And Paul is going to help us take steps to grow spiritually. And he does this by comparing the Christian life to a race. And he uses some very inspiring words in verse number 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth. And it's very inspiring, but it's also very instructive. And he's going to give us some practical tips. And really the, the, the culmination of it is in verse number 15. Notice what it says in verse 15 of our text. He says, let us therefore, as many be perfect, perfect. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I'm not perfect, and, and I know you're not perfect. And, and uh, we have to understand here, the Greek word is teleos, and the idea is not sinlessness, but the idea is spiritual maturity. In fact, the word means to be full grown. 
And so what is Paul saying? He's saying, hey, the goal of this is that we would that we would be perfect, that we would be spiritually mature, that we would be full grown. And it's my heart that we would raise up a church in Fontana, California, that there would be some people that walk in spiritual maturity, that it wouldn't just be a shallow thing, but that it would be a deep thing, an intimate thing with God, that we would continue to grow for his glory. And so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about spiritual growth. I love what George Mueller said. He said this, uh, he said this, he, uh, uh, George Mueller, famous for um, his prayer life and for orphanages that he started. He said, now, in brotherly love and affection, I would give a few hints to my younger fellow believers as to the way in which to keep up spiritual enjoyment. And so he's at the end of his life, and he's saying, hey, let me give you some tips on how to have spiritual enjoyment, how you can be a happy camper, so to speak. And he says this, it is absolutely needful in order that, ha- in order that happiness in the Lord may continue that the scriptures be regularly read. If you want happiness, you have to be in the word of God. Uh, These are God's appointed means for the nourishment of the inner man. Consider it and ponder over it. I tell you so affectionately. For the first four years after my conversion, I made no progress. I had no spiritual growth. I wasn't growing because I neglected the Bible. But when I regularly read uh, on through the whole with reference to my own heart and soul, I directly made progress. Then my peace and joy continued more and more. Now I've been doing this for 47 years. I have read through the whole Bible about 100 times, and I always find it fresh when I begin again. Thus, my peace and joy have increased more and more. What will make us so exceedingly happy in heaven? It will be the fuller knowledge of God. And see, the reason that happiness is so non-existent in our culture is because knowledge of God is so non-existent in our culture. Because we're not connected to uh, the words of God. We're not connected to his word. And so this morning, I want to give us three ways that we can uh, get connected to God's word and grow spiritually. If you're ready, would you say amen? amen? Number one, three ways we can grow spiritually. Number one, develop a sanctified dissatisfaction. Develop a sanctified dissatisfaction. We say, what does that mean? A sanctified, a holy dissatisfaction. Well, notice what Paul says in verse number 12. He says, not as though I had already attained. Either we're already perfect. Paul, Paul was saying this, I recognize fully that I have not arrived yet. I recognize that I still have some growth to experience. I still have some room to grow. I have not arrived spiritually. I have not already attained. And so what he was saying is, I have this sanctified, this holy dissatisfaction. And we ought to have this heart that says, I am content with what God has given me. And I am content in Jesus. But I am not content and satisfied with where I am spiritually. I still want to see more people saved. I still want to see more people reached. I want to grow deeper in my relationship with God. I want to have a deeper prayer life. I I want to see God on a more intimate level. We can't be satisfied with where we are spiritually. We have to have this this sanctified dissatisfaction that says, I have not attained. I have not arrived yet. We cannot be caught in complacency, but we have to move forward in fervency and seeking spiritual growth. And this was the heart of Paul. The Bible talks uh, many times about how we can uh, kind of deceive ourselves in our own spiritual state where we think, I'm doing okay, you know, like, I'm not that bad. Like, uh, uh, things seem to be going pretty pretty well for me right now. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, verse number 1, uh, this letter to the church at Sardis, it says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that uh, the seven uh, spirits of God and the seven stars. And he says this, I know thy works, that thou hast a name. Everybody say a name. You have a name that thou livest and art dead. And so you have this name that you're alive and well, and you have this reputation even that you're doing well, but your reputation is not reality because spiritually you are dead. 
And so there's this self-deception that takes place where I'm doing pretty good. I think I'm making some progress when in all reality we are stuck in stagnation. Later to another church in, in uh, uh, the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, he says this, Because thou sayest, because you say, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. You think that you're rich and have nothing, and you think that everything is going fine, and you don't need one more thing, but the reality is, is you're in a wretched condition, and you're poor and blind in your spiritual state. I love that Paul was, uh, had this sanctified dissatisfaction where he always wanted to uh, grow and continue to grow more and more. Even at the end of his life, it says this in 2 Timothy 4.13. He's at the very end of his life, and watch what he wants at the very end of his life. He says, uh, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee and the books. He says, bring me some books, and especially the parchments of the gospel uh, records. But he says, man, I want some books. Even though he was at the end of his life, what was he saying? Man, I still want to learn. I have this sanctified dissatisfaction where I'm just not content. I've got to keep on learning more and more and more about Jesus because he is my Savior, and I just can't get enough. And so he had this sanctified dissatisfaction. And so often we're not growing because we're satisfied with ourselves. So Paul says, man, I have not attained. I have not arrived yet. Now, if anybody could have said they, they would have arrived, I mean, Paul did some pretty cool things. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Uh, he got caught up into the third heaven, and he said, man, I saw unspeakable things. And Paul started churches, and he did some incredible things. But what is he saying here after 25 years or more of ministry? I have not attained. I still have growth to do as a church. Hey, we have some growing to do. And individually, we have some growing to do. We've got to get growing. And he's going to talk about uh, some different ways that we can do this. First, uh, a sanctified dissatisfaction will affect three things. First, it'll affect what we follow. Everybody say what we follow. What we follow. Because in verse number 12, he says this, not as though I had already attained, either we're already perfect, but I follow after. I follow after. And that's a very aggressive word that he's using. He's saying, man, I'm pursuing after the purpose that God has for me. I'm following after the purpose that God has for me. I just want to know God more and more and more. I remember when I was in college, I heard a classic story about a young man who had a lot of passion and a lot of interest, and he was ready to serve the Lord. And uh, he went to a wise uh, old teacher one day, and he says, hey, can you tell, I want to learn more about Jesus. Can you tell me about God? And, and so the old teacher uh, said, okay, let's go. And they started walking, and they went down to a river. And the old teacher, the, wise, uh, the wiser older teacher, he took that man, he put his head under the water. And uh, they were up at like a river, and he put, put his head under the water, and he just held it there for over a minute. And uh, the young student just started like, like, like squirming and, and, and kicking, and, and uh, he couldn't breathe. And, and so the old teacher, he, he pulled him up, and he said, when you were under the water, what did you want the most? And the young student said, I wanted air. I just wanted to breathe. And he said, go home and come back when you want to know God as much as you wanted air. I've always remembered that story because so often we claim to want to know God, but do we really? How, how badly do we want to know God? Paul said, I'm going to follow after this thing. I'm going to pursue after. I want to know God with everything that is in me. I want to know him more and more. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 42, verse number 1. As the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God. He said, I have this longing for you. I just want to know you on a deeper level. And then he gives this amazing statement in verse number 12. Now, now don't miss this statement, okay? Look, look at what he says. If that, I, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. And it's kind of this, this, this wordy statement, but it carries a lot of meaning. He said, man, I just want to apprehend 
that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Uh, the other day, uh, a couple of weeks ago, our family went to the beach, and uh, my youngest daughter, Blakely, she loves going to the beach. She loves the water and the waves coming in, and she always kind of wants to walk out, and she has no fear, right? She just wants to uh, run out into the waves. And, and so we were kind of watching her. She was wearing her floaties, and I believe we have a picture of her this morning. And there she is. And uh, she had her floaties on. She was having so much fun. And, uh, and uh, she was kind of going deeper out and deeper out. And finally, she was uh, getting close to some of the big waves. And sure enough, a big wave came and just kind of knocked her right over, knocked her right down. And so she started crying, got sand all over her face. And so I ran over there, and I picked her up, and I grabbed hold of her. I apprehended her. And then what did she do to me? She apprehended me. She uh, held on to me. Well, very tightly, she wouldn't let me go. And this is what Paul is saying. Man, Christ has apprehended me. When I was on the road to Damascus, uh, he got a hold of my life. Jesus got a hold of my life. He rescued me. He saved me. And now I must apprehend, and I must embrace that purpose for which I have been embraced. And I want to encourage you today that God has saved you. God has called you for a purpose. And now is not the time to run away from that purpose. Now is the time to embrace that purpose for which you have been embraced. You have been apprehended by Christ Jesus. And now is not the time to just kind of say, oh, I'm going to sit back and I'm just going to kind of see how things go. Now is the time to say, man, I want to apprehend. I want to pursue. I want to grab hold of. I want to embrace all that God has for me. And I'm going to do that by following after that which God would have me follow after. And so Paul is concerned with what we follow. But secondly, he's concerned with what we forget. He's concerned with what we forget. In verse number 13, he puts it this way. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but there's one thing that I do, forgetting those things which are behind. See, many times we are uh, stuck in either the shame or the glory of our past. And our past holds us hostage. And maybe it's something that, uh, that was unfortunate that happened or something that you did and it brings shame and it brings guilt. Or maybe you're stuck in the past of some past accomplishment that went really well and you haven't quite got over it. It reminds me of the renowned theologian Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, who said this, how much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over them mountains. Coach would have put me in the fourth quarter. We would have been state champions, no doubt, no doubt in my mind. Uncle Rico, all right, you're welcome today. We can have some fun in church, right? But the truth is, some Christians have an Uncle Rico mindset where they're just kind of living in the past. And, man, the glory days and when the church was like this. And, man, uh, when things were like this and, and uh, uh, it was going so well for me and I accomplished this. And we kind of uh, get hung up on our past accomplishments or we get hung up on our past afflictions or mistakes. And Paul said, man, I'm going to move forward in the calling that God has for me. Now, Paul says, I'm going to forget those things which are behind. Now, he's not talking about uh, some uh, Jedi mind trick or some psychological mindset and uh, some impossibility where we just kind of erase our past. Uh, he, he's not saying that we can't uh, think on these things, but he's saying, he's saying deal with your past if you need to. Uh, uh, the Bible says this in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so uh, we've got to deal with the past, but we can't be distracted by the past. He says, he says, yeah, there's some things that we've got to deal with, but I'm going to forget uh, those things which are behind. And in fact, I love what the word forget means biblically. In the Bible, the word forget means to no longer be influenced by or affected by. I'm no, longer, I'm no longer going to let this influence me, and I'm no longer going to let this affect me. Yeah, there might be some things in your past that bring up some troubling memories. There might be some things that haunt you. There might be some baggage that you're not proud of, but it's this attitude and mindset that that is no longer going to affect me. Hey, you might not be able to erase uh, the problems of your past, but you can erase the power of your past by focusing on the future that God has for you. 
And so Paul says, man, we're going to forget those. I'm not going to let those things have power over me any longer. Hey, there might be some consequences for my sin that I'll deal with, and there might be some things that I'm not proud of, but that's no longer going to have the power over me because I'm looking forward to the future that God has for me. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all old things are passed away, and all things are become new. So we have this new beginning in Christ. And Paul says, man, it's important what we follow, but it's important what we forget. But then it's important what we focus on. So it's important what we follow after, what we forget. But what are we focusing on? Because this is what he says at the end of verse 13. Those things which are behind and reaching forth. Reaching forth. The word there carries the connotation of stretching. uh, Stretching to cross the finish line. Like I'm really going to expend myself. I'm going to stretch myself as far as I can go uh, to cross that finish line. And reaching forth unto those things which are uh, before. David Livingston was a pioneer missionary to Africa. And uh, he returned uh, on a trip to Great Britain. And uh, he was asked, what are you going to do now? And I I love what he said. His response was, I'm ready to go anywhere provided it be forward. I'll do whatever God wants as long as it's forward. And so Paul was saying, man, we've got to reach forth. We've got to focus on the things that are out ahead. And then he goes on in verse number 14. He makes it even further. He says this, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, man, I'm pressing forward. I want to pursue the calling that God has for me and pursue the prize that God has for me. And I love uh, the Greek word for press. It's, it's dioko. It means literally to be in a full-on sprint. He says, I want to be in a full-on sprint and press toward the mark of the high prize. And so Paul recognized that if he was going to pursue this prize and if he was going to pursue Jesus with his life, he was going to have to expend some energy. He was going to have to work a little bit at this. It wasn't going to come easily. And he wanted to make a maximum impact by giving a maximum effort. I'm going to give this thing everything that I've got. I'm going to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. And so Paul had this forward uh, thinking focus. Proverbs 4.25 puts it this way, let thine eyes look right on and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. And so it was this focus that says, I'm not going to be distracted by my past because I'm so focused on the future that God has for me. Notice verse number 15 of our text. He says, let us therefore as many be perfect, again, uh, carrying the idea of being fully grown. Uh, it's distinct from being undeveloped. And so he's saying, we want to be fully grown, be thus minded. And if anything, you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this even unto you. He says, uh, and if you're not tracking with what I'm saying, I'm praying that God will reveal unto you the step that you need to take. Verse 16. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule and let us mind the same thing. So he's saying, hey, we've got to pursue spiritual growth together. We've got to get growing together and be on the same page. And this leads us to our second thought this morning. Number two is this, emulate a godly example. And so number one, we have to develop a sanctified dissatisfaction. And we've got to say, man, I'm not content with where I am spiritually. I want to keep on pursuing God. But then number two, we have to emulate a godly example. If you're still with me, would you say amen? amen? Notice verse number 17. It says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which, which walk so as ye have for us for an example. And so now Paul is going to say, hey, if we're going to do this, we need to emulate the right example. And he's saying, you need to follow uh, the right examples and emulate the right example. When we Excuse me, when we first started our church, uh, I wanted to make sure that we were following the right pattern uh, in our church, and I wanted to make sure that we were following the right examples, and so I shared uh, an illustration and a story about 
uh, how they uh, pick peppers for Tabasco sauce. How many of you are fans of Tabasco sauce? Anybody in here? Okay. And uh, uh, Tabasco sauce, if you look at it, it all has the, the same texture, the same content, the same color, which is interesting because Tabasco uses no uh, food coloring whatsoever. And so the way that they get the same texture and the same color and the same taste is when the farmers are going out to pick the peppers for Tabasco sauce, they use a little red stick that's called the Baton Rouge. And uh, it literally means red stick. And so they take this red stick out, and they have to measure every single pepper to make sure it's the same color and to make sure it's the same size. And if it's good to go, then they'll take that one. And so now in Louisiana, Tabasco, they, they produce uh, over 500,000 uh, bottles of Tabasco every single day using this standard. We're going to follow this exact standard. And see, uh, Tabasco understands something that every follower of Jesus should understand. If you want the right product, you need the right pattern. And many times we're not experiencing the product that we want because we're following the wrong pattern. We want to grow spiritually. We want God's blessings. But we're following a pattern from the world and not from God's word. We're following a pattern from what we see in celebrity culture or, 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 or athletes. Or we're following what we see on Twitter and on social media. And we're following what we see in culture and at the workplace. But we're not following the pattern that has been set for us in God's word. And Paul says if we are going to grow spiritually, we must emulate the right example. And so we have to ask ourselves, what example am I following? The word actually means to imitate. What, what example am I imitating? What am I emulating? This is the, the question that Paul is uh, presenting for us. And so he gives us a pattern to replicate in verse 17. He says, uh, be followers together of me. And so Paul is saying, uh, I'm not on a pedestal above you, but I'm on a platform with you. And I want you to follow me, my example, as I follow Christ. Uh, this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 1. Uh, be ye followers, imitators of me, even as I also am of Christ. And so what he's saying is, uh, you can follow me as a, as a visible, as a tangible example to look to when you're wondering uh, about the direction that you should take in life. And he understood that Christianity is not just taught, Christianity is caught. We have to see an example and a pattern of what to follow after. And so he says, hey, make sure that you're following the right kind of pattern, replicating the right pattern. Maybe today you need to be the right pattern. See, you have no idea sometimes how big your circle of influence really is. And the people that are watching you that you have no idea are watching you and they're looking to you as an example. They're looking to you as a pattern. The Bible says this in Titus chapter 2, verse number 7. In all things, showing thyself a pattern. Everybody say a pattern. A pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity. And so Paul's saying, emulate the right example and then set the right example and leave the right pattern for those that are watching you. But then he says, not only is there, are there patterns that we must uh, replicate, there's a pattern that we must uh, repudiate. Notice what he says in verse number 18. He says, for many walk of whom I have told you often. And now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And so now Paul is talking about this group that is walking contrary to God's will, that is uh, preaching a different gospel, and, and these lost people. And it moves Paul to tears. In fact, that word weeping carries the idea of wailing. Pa pa Paul was... Uh, burdened by this. He was so passionate about these people uh, that didn't know Jesus, and it moved him to tears. And I wonder if we have the same kind of compassion about the people that are in our city, about the people that are uh, contrary to the church, and the atheists, and the outcasts, and the people that want nothing to do with God. Do we have compassion for them? 
And see, that's why we're having an open house Sunday where we're saying, hey, it's the perfect opportunity for you to bring a friend with you and that we can show love and show compassion to our community and show them that, hey, uh, Jesus still has a plan for you and Jesus has a purpose for your life and you are welcome here and you belong here. And we ought to have that same kind of compassion that Paul is demonstrating. And he's saying, man, it's moving me to tears even to think about these enemies of the cross. But then he goes on to describe them. And he's saying, while we have compassion on him, and I love the balance that he shows here, he says, while we have compassion for them and while we love them, we still have to mark them, take note of them, and not follow that example. And see, that's, that's sometimes where the line gets blurred. It's uh, we want to show compassion on them, and we show compassion on them by copying them. But that's not true compassion. Compassion is confronting them with the truth and following the example that, that God has set forth. And so he says, uh, here is what you should avoid. And I'm going to go through these quickly, but here's a couple of indications that you should not follow someone. Okay, are you guys ready? He says, uh, next verse in verse number 19. He says, whose end is destruction, so first consider the direction they're going. Are they going uh, in accordance to scripture? Are they listening to God's word? Or are they going in opposite directions? So consider their direction, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. This means that they have an uncontrollable appetite. This means they can't control their cravings, who they literally make their cravings an idol. It's God. It's, it's their God is their belly. Whatever feels good, that's what I'm going to do. And whatever seems right, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever makes me happy on an exterior surface, uh, that's what I'm going to do. Whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame. This means they are proud of things that they should be ashamed of. And if this is not indicative of our culture, then I don't know what is, because we are so proud of things that we should be blushing over. Just because the culture celebrates something does not mean that it is approved by God. The culture can normalize things, and it's acceptable to us, but that doesn't mean it's acceptable to God. Sex outside of marriage is something that is completely normal in our culture. In fact, it's celebrated in our culture, but that is not something that we should be proud of because it goes contrary to the principles of God's word. And so he says, uh, these people that we should avoid, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, their appetite, uh, they can't control it, whose glory is their shame, they're proud of what they know concerning evil, and then who mind earthly things, they have a carnal mindset. They're not thinking eternally. They're not thinking biblically. It's just about what matters right now. And so Paul says, hey, there's a pattern to replicate, but then there's a pattern to repudiate. Don't follow this example. Can I ask you this morning, what pattern are you following? What pattern are you emulating? Because if you want to grow spiritually, if you want the right product, you have to have the right pattern. And I want to encourage you today to find some people that are maybe older than you. Find some people that are uh, biblical uh, heroes in the word of God. Or find some people that are faithfully serving, the, uh, faithfully serving the Lord for years and years. And mark them and follow their example. And ultimately follow the example of Jesus Christ. And we have to make sure that we are following the right example. There's a pattern that we must replicate. And this leads us to our third and final thought today. If you have one more in you, would you say amen? amen. Number three, we have to provide a heavenly perspective. We have to develop a sanctified dissatisfaction. I'm not content with where I am spiritually. I have not yet apprehended. And then we have to emulate a godly example. But here's a third thought. Provide a heavenly perspective. Notice verse number 20. It says this, for our conversation, and the word conversation could be translated citizenship. In fact, uh, many of your translations might say citizenship. For our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, Paul is now directing our attention to our citizenship that is in heaven. And this morning I brought with me my passport. 
And a very important document, right? And uh, my passport uh, indicates that I am a citizen uh, of the United States. And it even says on the first page, the Secretary of State of the United States of America hereby requests all whom it may concern to permit the citizen of the United States named herein to pass without delay or hindrance, and in any case to of need to give all lawful aid and protection. So this declares that I am a citizen, right? And a passport is a very important document. <laughs> Several years ago, Kate and I were in line to get um, our passports renewed, and there was a lady in front of us that had all of our documentation, and she was really wanting to get her passport, and she was trying to get all the paperwork ready, and we were waiting in line for over an hour, and she finally got to the front, and the man said, I'm, I'm sorry, miss, but you don't have all the right documentation to get your passport. You can't do it today. And uh, she was very upset about that, and she said, sir, I already have a trip to Las Vegas lined up. I need my passport. <laughs> and... He said, ma'am, you don't need a passport to go to Las Vegas. And she was like, all right. And she walked out. She's a little bit confused about, about her uh, passport. But the Bible says that we are citizens. Hang with me for a second. The Bible says that we are citizens of heaven. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And so when we are saved, we've been adopted into the family of God, but we've also been invited to be citizens in God's kingdom. And this is something that would have been very familiar to the city at Philippi when Paul uses this analogy that, that our citizenship is in heaven because uh, the city at Philippi was in the region of Macedonia, but it was actually a Roman colony. And I believe we have a map this morning uh, of where Philippi is at the top of the screen in the region of Macedonia. And Philippi was there, but they were citizens, actually, of Rome, since Philippi was a Roman colony. And so the city at Philippi, they knew how to be in one place, but belong to another. And so it is with Christians. We are here on earth, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we have a dual citizenship, really, of being here on earth and being in heaven, and that is our home. See, Fontana, California is where I live, but heaven is where I belong. Heaven is my home. And so Paul is saying our citizenship, it's in heaven. And this is encouraging news for us today, that, that we belong in heaven. And just like my passport is a document that declares I'm a citizen, if you are saved, your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and that is the documentation that you need uh, to gain access into heaven. In fact, one chapter later, we're going to look at it next week, but in Philippians 4.3, it says, And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with, any, and with other my fellow laborers, watch this, whose names are in the Book of Life. That is the documentation that we need. And uh, several months ago, I was invited to a, a preacher meeting in, in uh, Virginia, and I was with my friend, Pastor Kurt Skelly. How many of you remember Kurt Skelly when he was here for a conference? And uh, someone invited us to go to the White House. And uh, they invited us to go, and they said, hey, we can go to the vice president's office. And so we said, okay, that'd be cool. And so uh, they sent us all these forms and this email, and we had to fill out all this paperwork and, and background checks and all these things. And then the person that was kind of making this happen for us, he said, okay, you have to be at this gate at this certain time, and you have to make sure that you're on time, and you have all of your right documents. And, and so uh, we got to the White House, and we went through security, and we went uh, to the person, and he was looking at the list. And sure enough, our names were on the list. And so the only reason we were gained access into the White House is because our names were on the registry. And it was not because we wanted to go. It was not because we thought we deserved to go. 
It was because one person had the authority and one person had the opportunity to intercede on our behalf and give us access into that place. And friend, I just want to tell you, it's the same with heaven. It's because one person interceded on your behalf. His name is Jesus Christ. That your name can be on the registry in heaven. That your name can be written in the Lamb's book of life. And we can celebrate that and we can praise him that we have a home in heaven forever. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. There are many rooms. There is room for you today. He says, man, our citizenship is in heaven. This is a blessing. But then it even gets better. Verse number 21. Who shall change our vile body? You know, sometimes we don't like our bodies. Have you ever called that my vile body? I can't stand my vile body. That it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. And I love this. This is what we talked about at the beginning of the sermon. This is glorification. This is when we get a new body. Sometimes people say, What's my body going to be like in heaven? What am I going to look like in heaven? Better. We're going to get an upgrade, okay? We're going to get in heaven. We're going to have a, a, a glorified body, and I just love this thought. I remember when I was uh, doing some high school uh, Christian clubs. I went to a public school, and there was a, a boy that was in this uh, Christian club, and he was not a Christian, but he was kind of coming because we had free food and we would play games, and his name was Sinai. And Sinai was in a wheelchair, and so he couldn't play in, in a lot of the games that we had, and he couldn't really participate in some things that we did. But every week he would come in in a wheelchair, and he would kind of just listen. And he seemed kind of sad all the time. And, you know, he was only in seventh grade, but just in a wheelchair going in and out. And I remember one day after he had gone for several weeks, he kind of stayed after the Christian club, and he kind of hung out. And I said, what's up, Sinai? And he, and he started to ask me some, some questions, and, and uh, uh, it came to light that he didn't really know Jesus, and he didn't know for sure if he was on his way to heaven. And so I was super pumped to share the gospel with him. And I, I told him, man, you can have a home in heaven. You can have a relationship with God through Jesus. And, and, and Sinai got excited about that, and he prayed, and he accepted Christ as a Savior in that Christian club. And then I remember right after he prayed and accepted Christ, I, I tapped on his wheel chair and I said you're not going to be needing this in heaven and it was the first time in several weeks that I saw his face light up and he smiled so big because it hit him I'm not going to need this in heaven imagine a place in heaven where your body is going to have no more sickness no more disease no more gaining weight no more no more balding no more disease no more cancer, no more pain, no more aches, no more tears. Anybody thankful today that we're going to have a glorified body in heaven and be with our Savior Jesus Christ forever and ever? Hey, our citizenship is in heaven. Is anybody thankful today that our citizenship is in heaven forever because of what Jesus did for us on the cross? And so the final question that I have for us today then is this. Are you certain that you're a citizen? Are you certain that you are a citizen of heaven? Many people think that because they are good or because they're religious, that that's gonna get them access to heaven. But there's only one way that your name can get on that registry. There's only one name that your name, one way that your name can be written in the Lamb's book of life, and it's you accept Jesus Christ as your savior. You can become a citizen by birth. In fact, would you join me in standing today as I read one more verse and we close? You can be a citizen by birth. The Bible puts it this way. John chapter three, verse number three. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't be a citizen of heaven 
if you've never been born again? How, do, how, how can I be born again? Uh, how can I enter my mother's womb again was the question that was asked Jesus. How can I do this? And this morning, I want to say that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he will give you new life. You can experience a new birth. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And today you can know him. You can become a citizen of heaven. You can have a relationship with God. And if you don't know that, I would encourage you to get that settled today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.